Hi everyone, welcome to Behind the Fun, a practical parent education podcast brought to you by FTC Kids Empowerment Center. One of the reasons we've decided to launch this podcast is because we want to provide parents with the tools and resources that they need to better understand their child and assist in the development process. In these 10 to 15 minute long segments, you'll learn from our amazing therapists and come away from each episode feeling a little bit better, a little bit more informed, and a lot more confident about the techniques the FTC Kids family is using with your kiddos. My name is Ryan Goodrich, and this This is is Behind Behind the the Fun Fun, Practical Practical Parent Parent Education. On today's episode, we have Natalia Kajihas, the Director of Speech Therapy at FTC Kids. It's so apparent that Natalia absolutely loves what she does. It comes across in the way she interacts with both the kiddos she treats their parents, and her colleagues. Day after day, she works to help children who are really struggling with communication to be better connected, feel more empowered, and experience the freedom that finding their voice provides. Hey, Natalia, thanks so much for joining us today. What does a pediatric speech language pathologist do? It's my pleasure to be here and to talk about this field and all of the awesome things we get to do. A pediatric speech language pathologist, or an SLP for short, we are essentially the specialists that help your child with speech and communication, amongst many other things. But actually, you'd be surprised with how broad this field of speech language pathology really is. So I'll give you a couple other things that we see or cover in this field, and that includes articulation and phonological skills, expressive and receptive language, speech fluency and stuttering, voice and resonance, cognitive communication skills, augmentative and alternative communication, um, as well as swallowing and feeding issues, and of course, most importantly, educating and empowering the patient or the parent caregiver on how to best help their child. So you're bilingual. Did you grow up in a multi-language household? I actually did not. So there is type different types of bilingualism mm-hmm. and the kind of bilingualism I was exposed to in my childhood was where you initially just speak one language. So that's my native language, which is Spanish. And then later on in life, you're introduced to a second language. And that for me is English. I did not grow up in a bilingual household necessarily until I was about eight years old, which is when we moved to the United States. And then by us learning English at school and speaking Spanish at home, that's where I started having that experience of bilingualism. The reason I asked that is because I was really curious if a child would have speech or language problems if more than one language was spoken. Uh, I could talk about this for days, but for the sake of giving you a short answer, the answer is no. Learning two languages in childhood does not cause confusion or language delays. The idea that learning to speak two languages causes a language delay in children has actually been a really long-standing myth, but thankfully over the years research has dispelled this myth. And so before we get into myths versus facts, let's just go over what a speech delay is. So a speech delay is when a child's language or speech isn't progressing at that expected pace for their age. And usually adults, such as parents or teachers, they'll notice when a child is around other kids the same age, but they don't seem to be making that progress or communicating at the same rate and with as much clarity as their same age peers. And so monolingual children, those are children who are only speaking one language at home, 
and they've been learning that one language right from birth, they're only exposed to the same vocabulary all the time. Whereas bilingual children, they're learning two sets of words for the same objects, which is why it often seems like they have a speech delay. But in reality, if we just think about what that means, they're spending half the time with each language in comparison to their monolingual peers. Does that make sense why, you know, a child who's learning, for example, to label everything in their environment, they need two different vocabulary words. And so a child who speaks Spanish and English, they don't only have to learn, you know, cat to label their, their pet cat, but they're going to also have to learn the word gato. And so by learning two sets of vocabulary, it just takes a little longer for mm -hmm. children to then process that and use it spontaneously. Oh, that makes it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've heard about these things. I've heard about alternative augmentative communication devices. What, what are those? An alternative augmentative communication device is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a device and it can be as high tech or low tech as possible that is used for children or adults to communicate. And the reason why it's alternative is because it can be used alongside speech. It can be used not quite as a replacement, but for the time being while a child is learning how to speak or they're just finding what works best for them. And so when I say low tech, we're talking visual schedules and PECs, which are picture exchange communication boards, and then those high-tech AACs or alternative augmentative communication devices could be anything like a tablet or just any sort of high-tech screen in which an adult or a child can use to communicate their needs and their ideas. Now, would those prevent my child from learning how to speak or, de or delay their natural progression in learning how to speak? Yeah, the, the topic of AACs in our field is something that also comes with a multitude of myths. A common misconception in augmentative and alternative communication is that it will stop someone from, from learning how to speak, but research shows that AAC can actually have positive effects on speech and language development. As SLPs, we're often asked by parents if an AAC will stop their child from learning how to speak. And, you know, to be fair, parents are often concerned about introducing these alternative forms of communication due to that fear and worry that it's going to reduce their child's speech attempts. But the reality is that giving someone an AAC will not stop them from learning how to speak. And there's actually so much that can be achieved when we give an alternative means of communication to someone who needs it. Let's say I'm using an AAC. Mm -hmm. I can imagine when I have a success, when I'm when I'm successfully communicating something that I I need or I want through the AAC and I get the response from my caregiver or my parent or whoever it might be and that response allows me to get what I'm what I'm seeking right. that I would get like some sort of dopamine spike and I would be excited to use it and communicate more, Absolutely. seeing that it works. Yeah, and you know, I think initially when we think about AAC, I'm sure parents think that it's just this form of requesting, right? Because initially it might be very helpful for allowing a child to express their wants and needs, but using an AAC to communicate is so much more than that. It is really giving 
the tools to a child to express themselves, to share things about themselves, to share what brings them joy, what they don't enjoy. And so, like you said, as a child, when using uh, an AAC or any other source of communication, to have those ideas and those preferences and their requests met, it, like you said, it just brings them a desire to continue to communicate. And that's what we want for children at all times. And we're not going to limit it by only seeking for communication in a verbal style of communication, such as speaking. And so again, like I could spend an entire podcast episode on AACs, but the, the short and simple answer is that no, it will not stop children from wanting to speak. Good. I can imagine it, <laughs> yeah. they feel just empowered once they're able to effectively communicate a want or a need to someone, especially if they haven't had that power in the, in the past or that ability to. What's the difference between speech and language? These words are very often used interchangeably, and they might mean the same thing when we're speaking about communication casually, but in the medical community, they have a very different meaning. So let's start with speech. Speech refers to the actual sound of spoken words. So in other words, it's just talking. Language, on the other hand, refers to a whole system of words and symbols, whether it's written, spoken, or expressed with gestures and body language. And those symbols are used to communicate meaning. And so just as speech and language are different, there is also a difference between speech disorders and language disorders. So a speech disorder usually just indicates that someone has trouble producing certain sounds accurately. Whereas a language disorder could be perceptive or expressive. And that's because language deals with meaning. A child with a language disorder may have a difficult time understanding the meaning of what's being said, and that's considered a receptive language difficulty, or they may have trouble communicating their own thoughts and ideas. And that's what we would consider an expressive language difficulty. And the reality is that both of these disorders or difficulties can coexist. And so that's why you have us in this field. You, you know, if there is a parent who's concerned about perhaps their child having a difficult time expressing themselves clearly, whether that be based on their articulation and the clarity of their speech or having difficulties following directions, even if it's simple directions like the steps necessary for us to get ready to get dressed and head out the door in the morning. And so again, those those types of difficulties can coexist. And that's why it's so important to express those concerns with the pediatrician. And so then the pediatrician can make the referrals necessary to see if there is actually a speech and or language or both um, disorder or delay. What's the difference between a disorder and a delay? Well, unfortunately, there isn't always a straightforward answer to this question. That's because a language delay is a delay in acquisition of language skills compared to a child's same age peers. So a child with a language delay may exhibit a slower onset of a language skill or a slower rate of mastery of such skills. However, there is a subset of children who continue to demonstrate persistent difficulties acquiring and using language skills that cannot be explained by other factors, such as coexisting diagnoses. And so they may be identified as having specific language impairment, 
um, which is another word for a language disorder. Basically, the simple answer to that is a language delay would be when a child is developing those skills at the appropriate order and perhaps there's just the rate isn't there yet. Whereas a language disorder is where we would see some of those skills just really being missed, whether they're receptive language skills or expressive. And so the easiest way to differentiate between a delay and a disorder would be to have a speech language pathologist evaluate that child just to see where they're falling in comparison to the same age peers. And what can I do at home to further support my child if they need to work with an SLP? Yeah, well, chances are that you're already doing a great job at providing a language-rich environment for your child or children. As we know, children learn from modeled behaviors, so the best thing a parent can do is to model communication at home as often as possible. So an example would be for a younger age group, it's best to simplify comments and questions allowing that child to understand what's being expressed or asked of them. For example, if you have a two-year-old at home and you're, you're giving that two-year-old an option when it's time for them to eat or drink, you wanna use phrases that are shorter and have two options or answers such as, would you like water or milk? Rather than asking a more complex open-ended question such as, what do you wanna drink? And the reason why we would do this is to really set that child up for success. We want them to learn that when we communicate, we are expressing our wants and needs, but also our ideas and our thoughts. And so sometimes providing the two answers to choose from, the child is feeling supported instead of getting all of these open-ended questions and not feeling quite ready to answer those questions. And then just thinking, well, I'm not gonna get that thing I want or I need just because I'm not able to express it right now. So that's just one example. Uh, But some other everyday activities that foster communication development also include things such as play, doing chores around the house together, newscasting what a child is doing, explaining what the parent is doing out loud, and of course, looking at and reading books together. And I just wanna touch base on what newscasting is. It's when we state what the child is doing rather than ask the child questions about what they're doing. So an example of that would be if your child's on the floor playing with cars, instead of coming over and just drilling your child and asking questions like, well, what are you playing with? What are the cars doing? Which one's the fastest? Which really, it it could lead to just one word answers. What you want to do is come on over and just state what you see. Oh, I notice you're playing with cars. Oh, the cars are going to have a race. I wonder which one's going to come first. Because by newscasting or just stating what you're seeing around you and your environment, your child sees that there's opportunity to keep that conversation going. And there isn't that pressure for them to answer these questions, which will in turn encourage them to either model the same kind of communication, which is just stating what's happening, rather than get used to just answering questions. And the reality is that parents and caregivers are a child's number one teacher and mentor in many aspects of life. So making time for these connections makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, you have me wondering, I tend to provide an exceptional amount of context when I'm speaking with my kids. 
am I overloading them by providing them too much context? Because, like, I love storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I will start with, here's the protagonist, and then one day this happened, and which led to this series of events, and this is why you have to clean your room. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that really goes to, to say that it depends on the child. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you have two lovely daughters at home and they're used to that kind of storytelling and narrating from their chatty dad. And so, you know, for your girls, it might be something that that they're used to and that they can take in and process and in turn either go along with it mm -hmm. or ask questions or hopefully, you know, they're able to just tell you whether they're uninterested and they'd rather do something else, right? Well, yeah, most of the time they just ignore me. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, I think to answer that question, we really have to keep in mind who the child is or what your audience is. I mean, obviously, if you have a toddler at home, I would try to limit the detail, limit the words just to really catch their attention mm -hmm. and provide that communication in a way that they can really take it in, digest, and go from there. But I mean, absolutely, if you have an older child who loves the detail and, and loves to hear the background of what you're explaining or what you're getting into, you can kind of get a feel for how much information each child needs. And I mean, who better than a parent to know exactly how much their child needs when communicating with them. Why should a parent choose FTC Kids over another facility that they could potentially bring their kid out to? I love that question. I'm glad we're, we're wrapping up with that one. As previously explained by the owner and founder of FTC Kids, Reina Kuturba, FTC stands for Fund That Counts. And that name resonates so well with who we are at our core because at the end of the day, children learn best through play. And so I think that when comparing FTC kids to other pediatric facilities in the area, what really sets us apart is that we're not looking to treat each child from a diagnosis-driven perspective, but instead we're looking at things like, what are the child's special interests? What motivates that child? What are his or her strengths? And how can we use them to create meaningful goals? So that in turn, that will encourage the child to make the most progress. And then of course, another huge part of who we are um, here at FTC is helping the parents and the caregivers feel supported and empowered. Natalia, thanks so much for your time today. I'm really happy that we could bring you on and have you talk a little bit more about speech here. Thank you for having me, it was a pleasure. This has been Behind the Fun, practical parent education brought to you by FTC Kids Empowerment Center in Little Falls, New Jersey. If you enjoyed today's podcast or found it useful, please make sure to follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your preferred podcast app. For more information on FTC Kids Empowerment Center, please visit us at www.ftckids.com. If you're interested in real-time content, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as well. Please check our episode description for links to those resources.